Good to see each of you here and uh, bring greetings in Jesus' name again. When I got to hearing about this person and that person and the other person that wasn't feeling well, I didn't know what to expect this morning, uh, but we are glad you're here. We're glad for those that are healthy and or are on their way back to health. What started me down the line that I'm going this morning was some readings and a devotional book. And I want to share a couple of those through the message. The title is Seen or Unseen. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I appreciated a couple of songs this morning. I can't go back and pull the phrases up, but there were a couple of phrases and some songs this morning that fit with what uh, we plan to uh, address this morning. I will read this from the New King James, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of, the age, of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who, hath, who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, 
Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that's where the title comes from. So what am I seeing today? The seen or the unseen? I want to go through this chapter just a little bit and uh, gain the deeper appreciation as I look through this chapter uh, and uh, learned some things, probably things that you've already known and learned a long time ago. But I have been impressed that as we look at things, it starts thought processes that we can learn some new things as we go through. First thing I want to look at is in verse 3, talking about this veiled gospel. Verse 1 talks about therefore. And I look back in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you back up into the previous chapter and it gives the picture of Moses and the veil on his face and it talks about this veil that was on the hearts of Israel. Let's start reading at verse 13 of chapter 3. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the, at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. I'm going to stop here just a little bit. You notice verse 3 of chapter 4 talks about the gospel is being veiled. Verse 14 of chapter 3 says their minds were blinded. Continuing on, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Without Christ, we can't see clearly. Without Christ, it's like having a, a covering over our head so we can't see right. And that's the picture that he's giving here. When Moses is read, when the law is read, their hearts are covered. They can't see it. But when Christ comes and changes their life, verse 16, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 14 says, because the veil is taken away in Christ. So because of this, then you get into chapter 4. Verse 3 even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Now, I saw as I hadn't before the, the comparisons as we go down through these verses. And you get down further in the chapter, it's the dark side and the light side, the dark side and the light side, the dark side and the light side, right down through the verses. 
And here he talks about the minds of people being blinded by the gods of this age because they don't believe, but lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Till Christ shines in our light, we're living in a veiled atmosphere where we can't understand what God wants in our lives. I was a little bit taken back by the wording of the New King James in verse 6 where it says, for it is the God who commanded light, uh, but don't have too much problem with it. But it's that same God that commanded light to shine out of darkness that has shined in our hearts through Christ to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he's given that to us in these physical bodies. We can be unveiled today because of what Christ has done for us. Verse 8 and following, how many of you does the name Mike Jones ring any bell? Just a couple. I remembered when Mike Jones took these verses for what they meant. We were living in South Carolina. Mike Jones and his family, Mike and Mary Lou, were... Uh, in Suriname, and they were brought back home. And he used these verses in a talk that he gave uh, from 8, 9, and 10. But Mike got to the point where he didn't live those out, and the darkness got the best of him. We are hard-pressed on every side, verse 8, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So what is my response to being troubled on every side, to being perplexed, to being persecuted, to being cast down. Am I crushed? Am I in despair? Am I forsaken? Am I destroyed? I was about to say that's an option. <laughs> it really isn't, at least not a good option. But too many times, that's where we find ourselves. My response to these things that come into my life affects you. Your response to those things that come into your life affect me, affect others. 
In other words, these things are going to come into your life. They're going to come into my life. And as I looked at this, that is that first part of verse 10. Caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Our response to that makes manifest. No, I shouldn't have said our response to it. Our proper response to that makes manifest the Lord Jesus. If in that perplexity, if in that trouble, in that perplexity, in that persecution, we come through um, not crushed, not in despair, not forsaken, not destroyed, it shines the light of Jesus so that others can see it, made known in our body. Verse 11, a similar thought process. We live we who live are always delivered to death. We're facing things in life that are trying to push us down, to pull us down. We face them so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. Just puts it a little different way. Death is working in us, trying to get us, but our re proper response points you to life. We live in the reality of verse 14 knowing that what raised Christ up, who raised Christ up, will also raise us up and present us with those that we show the proper light to. I want to read a little quote from uh, Philip Keller on ver these verses. He says this, Probably the thing that impresses any anyone who has watched eagles soar the most is the apparent ease and utter serenity with which they fly. Of course, this would be impossible without the skill that comes from long practice. The demands made upon the Christian who would lead a triumphant and serene life are no less exacting. The believer will often grow weary. He or she will be tempted to relaxed vigilance. One will be impulsive and prone to a faltering up and down experience. Like a young eagle, one will do a good deal of flapping and flopping around before he or she has mastered the art of continuous soaring. In fact, one might become quite exhausted and downcast on occasion from trying so hard to fly on one's own strength instead of just resting in God's faithfulness. It's as we come and let God deal with the problems that we're facing and help us through them that we can soar in life. Therefore, because of all this, and no, I'm not done yet, okay? We're getting about to the end of the chapter, but there's more. Do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, 
Yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. My body's wearing out. My physical life is, uh, is perishing. It's downhill from here physically. But I can be renewed each day and growing in Christ as I take this proper approach to looking at life. When those things come in, when you know, those aches keep coming in the morning. When it's tempting just to turn over and just stay in bed. We can be renewed. For our light affliction. Which is but for a moment. This is temporary. This wearing out body. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why? Because we're looking at the things that are unseen. Because when I look at the trouble and the perplexity and the stresses and this body wearing out, it can be downright depressing. But when we look at the things that are eternal, things that are not seen, then it makes a difference in our life. I want to look at two Old Testament uh, accounts, parts of Old Testament accounts. Second Kings chapter 6. When I thought about some of these things, I thought, you know, this is, uh, the, the unseen is powerful. The first part of this chapter is where they were there and one man was chopping his tree down and the axe head went out in the water. And Elisha said, uh, cut down a branch and that axe head floated. That's not what I'm after here. Verse 8, the king of Syria came down and wanted to fight against Israel. And he was trying to find a place to attack them. But somebody was telling the king of Israel, don't go here. That's where Syria is going to be. Don't go there. That's where Syria is going to be. And it says he didn't do it once or twice. I don't know how many times he did it, but more than twice. Syria's king got upset. He said, who is for the king of Israel in my camp? You know what they said? Verse 12, one of the servants said, none, my lord, O king. Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. You get the picture of the seen and the unseen. The king of Syria knew that, that Israel was avoiding him. And something was happening that Israel knew where he was. The unseen was Elisha could even tell the king of Israel what the king of, king of Syria was saying in his bedchamber. 
So they said, go and spy on Elisha. Find out where this man is. And they came. Elisha called on God, and God struck these men with blindness. Uh, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, the, the chariots came and surrounded where Elisha was. Verse 15, the servant of the man of God had risen early and gone forth. Behold, and host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Elisha's response in verse 16, he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Elisha's servant saw these horses and chariots around the city. He couldn't see anything on their side. The seen and the unseen. Verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire round about Elisha. And he, his eyes were open, and he could see the unseen. Continue on down through here, and um, they, Elisha had God strike these men with blindness. He took them down into the heart of the city of Samaria, and then had God open their eyes, had them fed, and sent back to the king. King came back. Surrounded. The city. Verse 24. Came to pass after this. That Ben-Hadad king of Syria. Gathered all his hosts. And went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria. And behold they were. They besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. They were desperate. But all they could see was desperation. And you get down in the following verses and you have the account of, of women eating their own children because they were starving to death. Verse 32. Um, let me back up a little bit. After the king heard this, verse 30, the king got desperate as well when he heard the, the plight of the people in Israel. He rent his clothes and he passed by upon the wall and the people looked and behold he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. And he said, God do so, and more also to me, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. He was desperate to the point that he was going to take Elisha's life. The elders came. Verse 32, Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him. And the king sent a man from before him. 
But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See ye how this son of a murderer has sent to take away mine head? Look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? In other words, the, the servant came to the door, but the king was close behind. Elisha said, Shut the door and hold him there. Verse 33, While he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? Notice Elisha's response in chapter 7. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. And the Lord, one of the servants, one of the elders that was with the king, the man that the king was leaning on, answered Elisha and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou but shalt not eat thereof. Elisha said, You're going to see this happen, but you're not going to partake. And this is the account where you have the lepers outside the wall. They're starving too. They're in a strait. They can't go inside the city. They stay there, they'll die. They go out to the enemy, they'll die. And they said, we're going to go out there and see. Worst that can happen to us is we die. They go out and find the camp empty of people. So they start taking of the plunder and hiding it. Taking of the plunder and hiding it. And they said, this isn't right. So they go to the door of the, of the city and knock on the door and say, the camp's empty. So what would you do? You're in there starving. Would you go running out? And the king said, no, nah, we're not going out there. This is just a, just a ploy to get us out there so they can get us outside the city. So he sent some men out. They went all the way to the Jordan and they said, they found no one, but they were casting off things as they went in their uh, effort to get away quickly. Um, verse 15, they went after them unto the Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. So how did this take place? They're locked up in the city. Dying of famine. No hope of escape. But you see, God had the unseen at work for them. I didn't pick it up there, but it talks about the noise in the trees, and they thought that they, they had all these armies coming to fight for them. And that man that was, was supporting the king, the king told him to open the gate to let the people out. And that man was trampled to death. He didn't get to partake of 
the blessings of God that were unseen. Go back to Numbers, chapter 13. Another familiar account. What are we seeing in life? Are we seeing the all the bad? Or are we looking to God for the good? And this is the account of the spies. You know, Israel wouldn't have had to have wandered about in the wilderness for 40 years. They had an opportunity to enter the promised land. Twelve spies went. They all saw the same thing. Or did they? They saw the same thing with their physical eye. They brought back the produce of the land. They saw the giants. They saw how good the land was. Verse 27 of chapter 13. They told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people we people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. There are giants there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. What's he seeing? What were the other ten seeing? They walked through the same piece of ground. They saw the same people. Verse 31, But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight what those ten saw they saw we're these little grasshoppers down here amongst the giants and they said that's the way they looked at us too we're just food for them then they wanted to go up um, I'm sorry then they wanted to go back to Egypt in verse in the first part of chapter 14 verse 6 Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh which were of them that searched the land rent their clothes and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel saying the land which we passed through to search it is an exceeding good land if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Honey, only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. 
So when we face these difficulties in life, are we looking at what we can see or what we can't see? Are we looking at the temporary or are we looking at the eternal? I want to read another quote in closing from another one of Philip Keller's writings. One simply cannot get through life without excruciating experiences of one kind or another. It is absolutely inevitable that there will be days when it seems we are going to be driven into destruction. People or events just do gang up on us. The irony of life is that calamities, like crows, come in bunches of unexpected, rapid sequence, one rushing in upon another. Often our first impulse is to flee or take flight. Somehow we want to take to the trees. We lash out right and we lash out left and right, hoping to keep the destruction at bay, but we seldom succeed. The more prudent move is to settle down in stillness, waiting quietly for the crisis to pass. This is not an easy decision to make. It often seems much more heroic to try to fight our way out of the fray. Yet that is not the best way. The longer I live, the more often I discover that to wait patiently is the secret to power and peace. Standing quietly, serene in the strength that comes from knowing Christ, one can overcome. Wait upon the Most High. Trust in his remarkable wisdom. Let the strength of his spirit support us. All will be well. Can we have a song, please? <laughs>